Hi potties, I'm Amanda and you're listening to Tea with Two Revs, an activity of the Growing Faith Down Under project. I am delighted to welcome back to the virtual coffee table with Kappa all ready to go, the almost Dr. <laughs> Michelle Eastwood. Today we're talking through the lectionary readings for Sunday the 31st of October 2021, which if you follow is the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost or week 31 in year B of Ordinary Time. And we're paying particular attention to the story of Ruth over the next two episodes. So if you don't already have them handy, hit pause now, grab your cuppa, your bicky and your Bible, and let's get started. Michelle, how wonderful it is to see you again. Welcome Thank you back. For me again. I love Ruth, so I'm so excited. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. Michelle joined me for earlier episodes in the year as we walked through the book of Proverbs, which I'll link in the bottom of this week's notes too. And so today it's wonderful to have you delving into the book of Ruth. But before we get started, how are you going? Yeah, pretty good. As you said, I'm almost a doctor. I have my thesis submitted, so I'm just waiting now on um, the people who will mark it and say that, yes, this is good enough or no, this is what you need to fix. Um so that's wow. very exciting. That's such an exciting thing. But that must be a massive uh, point of relief as well as the, the um, dare I say, the constant anxiety while you wait for it to be assessed as yeah, well. Yeah, it's sort of up and down a bit. Like, yes, I finished, but I haven't quite finished. And what will they say? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, all yeah. of those in the mix. So my <laughs> moods vary daily. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep we'll keep um, holding you in prayer, and we we'll look forward to hearing about the the results as they come through, um, regardless of what they <laughs> are. Um, but I'm I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident, just quietly. Um, and so, hey, tell us about the the work that you've been doing. How's the project continuing to to recognise Australian women in um, religious studies as well, and in the, the the field of of religion? Yeah, so we have hit a hundred new Wikipedia pages. Um, so that's wow. really exciting. And I've been reading, writing about some Buddhist mm. women because it is religion, so I want to be thinking about different religions. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting for Absolutely. me thinking about how different – well, one of the Buddhist women, she had become – she was grown up as a Christian and become a Buddhist later in life. And one of the things mm-hmm. said that she understood her Christianity better in studying Buddhism. And I thought, yeah, that's really something for us to think about. Like when we go outside our comfort zone or outside yeah. the things we know, we often start to see what we know or what we think we know in a different light. So for me, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And I think for me too, I understand, like my understanding is that there are so many parts that we can pick up from um, from religion, you know, across the, the sphere that we actually do resonate with and engage with more. So there are some practices that I've picked up that I include in my own um, Christian practices that come from other faith backgrounds because that is what resonates with me Um, and I think it's important to understand that uh, and and to acknowledge that you know there's value right across the the spectrum and across the sphere of religion um, to and and, you know I I might be called a universalist but I actually do believe that if God is that big you know what's to say that we're not all talking about the same God just with different different clothing or understanding or however you want to look at it but um, bef- before we get into that conversation, because that's probably <laughs> going to take us down another whole path, let's just park that and maybe one day we'll come back to it. Um, but I'm super excited that today we are catching up to talk about the Book of Ruth and the Book of Ruth uh, and in its relationship to the rest of the lectionary for the day, which is Psalm 106, sorry, Psalm 146, Hebrews 9 and Mark 12. Um, so before we dive into Ruth, do you have any uh, reflections or observations you'd want to make across the breadth of the four readings today for us? Yeah, well, I find it. what came across to me is there's, these are big statements that we're dealing with today in the readings. Um, you know, in Ruth you've got her vow, which we'll get to. Um, in Mark you've got yep. the Shema, it's called. So Shema means listen yes. in Hebrew um, yes. and listen, listen to this. This is, this is their big commandment. Um, and then in Psalm 146, the verse I pulled out says, do not put your trust in princes, 
in mortal men who cannot save. So there's these really things. These are the big things that will save you, and these are the things that are important. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, that was the sort of theme running through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, that's wonderful. And look, I have to say, as I read through, you know, the readings from Mark to, for me, I have a particular um, one of the things that really connects with me, and, and I I wonder whether it's because I have some un, uh, unspoken or, or undiscovered. Uh, Jewish heritage um, which I'm just starting to work through but the Shema is something that really really hit like it it hits me deeply and I often find that I go back and read it um, you know in the original Old Testament um, book uh, rather than trying to you know put it together from Mark (laughs) I I like to go back and read the whole of it um, which is which is something that's just that and uh now remind me, um, Numbers is the where the ironic blessing is. Is this one? Yeah, in I would Deuteronomy? have said Deuteronomy, but don't this quote part of the me. The Deuteronomy six. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've I've got a feeling that the Shema sits somewhere in along with the Deuteronomy six um, stuff. But I, I'm, you know, I could be completely out of whack on that because I never remember the numbers for things. Yeah, no, so, I'm not good at numbers um, But either. I will find I will find the Shema, the actual Shema. Um, from the Old Testament. Yeah, 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy um, 6 verse 4. There you go. Yeah, 6 verse 4. Woohoo! <laughs> That's amazing. Because um, I really, you know, I, I'm i not great at remembering those things. That's just part of my neurodiversity. I have a really bad recollection for those pieces of information so um that's actually really quite great that I've managed to remember (laughs) that that one's Deuteronomy 6 which is wonderful so yeah so I will add that into our show notes for the day today so massive statements that are being made today across all of the readings that we have um I wonder uh you know as we approach the book of Ruth because for many this may be the first time that they will have engaged in Um, looking and listening through the book of Ruth in some depth as well too Um, we'll pop some some notes up that include the video link to the uh, Bible project and a couple of other places that go through and talk about the book of Ruth but Michelle would you like to just give us a bit of a a run through the book of Ruth it's only four chapters long isn't it Um, and and then we might do some cultural observations as well too just to kind of place that as well for us and then we'll get we'll get into the the big the big statements and things that are there so I'm going <laughs> to hand over to you and um, invite you to walk us through the book of Ruth this morning so, so. Um, Ruth and of course Esther are the only two mm. bible books named for mm-hmm. women and one of the things that is for mm-hmm. me is really interesting in these two books God is not mentioned now this doesn't mean that God's absent but just that we don't say his mm-hmm. name or say God's name. Mm-hmm. Um, so that for me is a really interesting thing to think about. Like why are these women's stories? Is God not interested in women? Well, I don't think that's true. Or if He God is interested in women, um, how is God working behind the scenes perhaps in these books? So I think mm-hmm. for me that's a really interesting thing. And <laughs> Ruth is situated, the very first line says, in the days when the judges ruled. So like if yes. judges is one of the books that you don't know or love, like I think it's really interesting. But it does tend to be a bit gory and a bit going people going off track. And you have this repeated refrain that says, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. So there's this argument that um, the book of Judges seems to be an argument that Israel needs a king, and we know that that doesn't necessarily work out for them. Um, But Ruth is situated in these days of unrest, these days where people are searching and they think that a king will save them. Um, And so all their stories sort of point to the fact that no one's doing the right thing or no one knows what to do the right thing because they don't have a king to rule over them. Um, so we need to think mm-hmm. about Ruth within that wider societal unrest. And that's actually quite an interesting point then too because during that period of time there would have been some quite clear-cut understandings about the role of women within that community as well too. And I guess we actually see some of that flowing out into the way that 
um, the book of Ruth is actually structured and the story that it tells as well too. Well, I think when we say too the role of women, the role of men is pretty structured too. Like let's not make men normative in this and think that it's just... Both of the roles are quite structured and and everyone knows their place too. It's not just a gender thing, it's a class thing too. Those who are higher class or have more money or privilege need to do the right thing for those who don't have money. Um, So you have a real community working together and every person has their place so that hopefully everyone gets looked after and no one gets left behind. Yeah, I think, and that's really interesting too, if we just you know pop that as an aside maybe to come back to but there are some very interesting things that we can hear and understand that for us in our current society um show some very different ways of being where we don't have that same sense of care because of the the way that we no longer have uh maybe to the same extent the the class um you know the class structure or yeah the class structure the the frameworks that are there um that that have actually been part of of keeping those societies and communities functioning for so long we don't have that here uh anymore in 21st century and in fact it's something that's you know kind of frowned upon and i i guess in some ways um i'm not advocating for those structures but what i'm acknowledging that in the process there are groups of people within our society that have actually sort of fallen through the cracks and and haven't been cared for in the same way within which these structures they may have been cared for um during that period of time i think i um, suggest that it's not perhaps the class structures because i would argue that we still have very um strong class structures but they're not explicit anymore that is, we don't actually okay, say yeah. this person's, you know, top class, this person's bottom. It, and it tends to be a bit more based on money. But we see around um, education, yeah. around class interests. I know, like, I've watched The Good Place. Um, so if you're familiar with The Good Place, there's these people who kind yeah. of um, die, but then what happens next? And and one of the people is, like, he is not educated. He's what someone we might call a bogan in Australia. And he does these lovely things for his partner, Tahani, who is your ultimate upper-class, sort of a princess kind of figure. And she doesn't appreciate them because her tastes are just so different. And and we can read it through the fact that he doesn't have any clue and we can put him down for it. Or we can say, actually, their education was just really different. They were taught to like different things. Then And they... Absolutely, had different opportunities yeah. in life so um i think lots of those things are within our society we just don't necessarily see them explicitly and i'm not mm. arguing for classes yeah. either but i think when we start mm-hmm. to think about these things we do read um all sorts of society and you know the films we watch in a really different way yeah yeah absolutely hey thank you for that um background to the beginning of um, the book of Ruth, how about we jump straight in and keep sort of following through? So um, the readings for today actually take us right into the very beginning. So we are looking at Ruth 1 verses 1 to 18, but it's such a small book that we really are going to go and look at the whole of it. You know, that's just part of what we do because you can't just read part of it. You have to read the whole um, so, so getting it and knowing it in its proper place and proper context is super important. So, um, okay, so the story begins uh, and what's happened is that during this time um, there was a woman called Naomi who was uh, married to Elimelech and they had sons, Malhon and Kil, uh, Kilion. Is it Kil- yeah. Kilion? Malhon and Kilion. Kilion, yeah, yeah. And they were from one of the clans um, from, you know, Judah as well too. And they, uh, I'm reading it as they, they travelled into Moab and settled there. And then um, Elimelech died. Well, they travel because there's a famine too. And that's interesting to put. Yeah, that's true. So they yeah, are actually. going to look yeah, for food. True. These people uh, are refugees in some ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Elimelech died. And um, at the time when the, I guess, the patriarch of the family dies, that's, that holds some fairly considerable um, uh, implications for the rest of the family, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, um, well, and we see that working out. Um, 
men are allowed to negotiate things in the marketplace where women can't. Um, the 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 security of a, a widow in um, these Israelite times is just incredibly dependent on her sons if she has them or on wider family to take her in um, and of course being in a foreign country they don't have these extended familial um, people yeah. to help them get what they need to make sure they can get the food they need whether that be by farming or whatever other work so yeah it put, makes her quite vulnerable um, the saving grace of course is that her sons are old enough to marry um, and we kind of know that uh, sons probably didn't marry till they were 30, 35, perhaps. Daughters married much okay, younger. Yeah. Um, so young, we might yeah. get a sense in this that Marlon and Killian were, um, were married off quite young um, because then that starts to, if they've got families, then they can work together to work the land. Um, one of the things in Israel at this time is the land's really hard to work. Um, so you need a family system to get together. One person by themselves cannot. Well, I think that's true today too. One person by themselves. It's yeah. really hard to do all the things you need to do to keep yourself going. Um, so if you've got family and you've got those people around you, then actually you've got more workers and you can pull your resources and um, start to look after each other. And when I uh, envisage in my mind the, the land that they're kind of working there, for me I have this image of the sort of the Australian desert kind of land where it's quite rugged and quite, you know, difficult to try and get anything to grow. So, that I mean, that's just how my mind looks. That may not necessarily be so, but when I think about these, these stories in particular where we see um, refugees from one part of Israel moving into another that's sort of how my brain my brain goes to that that you know this is this is challenging for yeah them. so I'm not an expert on Middle East geography and I am <laughs> conscious that like within you know you have this vast Australian desert which is huge but within the Middle East I think within sort mm. of 10 and 15 kilometers the um the sort of land can change just incredibly like it, it just huge changes within quite close yeah, places so I don't know about Moab yeah. but I know in Israel like I think it's actually quite hilly and they did lots of farms on the hills but of course if you've got if you're trying to farm mm -hmm. on the hill you can't just have a huge paddock you just clear out the bits you can clear out and then you clear mm -hmm. it and you have these sort of terraced farms um, but it is quite hilly yes. and not very good arable land so um, it's hard work to mm -hmm. get yourself enough to eat and so they continue doing that for, um, it, you know, the reading says for around 10 years and that's what happens. Um, and then the sons die as well. I think actually one of the things that we should mention here too is that um, the sons actually marry Moabite women, which is, you know, for me there's there's some interesting conversation that always happens around that because they they marry the foreigner, they marry the, the, the other. And yet I always go back to the Jeremiah reading where we, you know, God says to the people, go and live in the land and, um, and you know, settle down, marry, have children, farm, do all of those things. So I, I'm actually seeing those sort of two stories coming together. What we're seeing is an outworking here of um, not necessarily the the easiest way for it to have happened but this is a, a family who have taken refuge in Moab and who have actually begun the process of of settling down and actually being in the land and becoming a part of that community as well too um, so when the the two sons die um, it leaves all of the the women alone so you have uh, Naomi you have Ruth and you have Orpah uh, and that's sort of that they're the three there that happens and so as we move through the reading um Naomi says to her her daughters-in-law I'm gonna go back to the land that I've come from um and you should return to the place of your mother's home as well too um you know and that that God shows you the same kindness that um, God has shown to me in my widow years um, but 
that sort of is where the story changes a little bit too because um, Ruth says, like Naomi says, yes, okay, I'll go and, you know, kisses her mother-in-law and goes goodbye. But um, Ruth actually says, I'm not going, I'm not going to go and leave you alone. Well, Orpah does too at the start. Um, and then yeah, she yeah. is eventually able to be convinced to go back. Um, and then, but Ruth says, and, and that's when Ruth's famous vow comes in. So, um, yeah. So these are some of the big statements that we see and hear. Yeah, so she says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you Mm. go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, Mm. and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, Mm. there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. So, I mean, it is this beautiful Mm -hmm. statement of devotion from Ruth to her mother-in-law. So, you know, if we think of all those mother-in-law jokes we get, um, this is not that relationship. No, 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 absolutely not. And and this is actually quite profound too in that... um, for this particular, you know, for for Ruth to have made that kind of declaration, um, not only is there something quite particular and special about the relationship that she has with her mother-in-law, but she's she's making an oath essentially. So this is really serious. Yeah, you know, she's she's On really her laying life, it she, out here. She determined to stay with yeah. Ruth, and for me, so in verse 14 it says but Ruth clung to her so this word clung only appears I think Mm. it's twice but it might be a little bit more it's a very rare word but it's the same word that we see in Genesis where Adam and Eve cling Mm -hmm. to each other so for me this says Mm -hmm. actually clinging to one another becoming one flesh is about being kin Mm. Um, and there is Mm, no blood mm, tie mm. between Ruth and Naomi but in this moment Mm. they're committed they're covenanting they're promising to be kin to one Mm. another or family to one another Mm. um so i am aware that there are some readings that say that ruth and naomi are lesbian lovers and i don't like that reading because i think it undermines the nature of this um dedication to each other yeah yeah absolutely and i think it does undermine just the the nature too of the the understanding of family as well and the importance of relationships as well um, just the familial ones. I, I particularly like the way that um, you've just given us the understanding of cling as being the same as that that we see in Genesis as well too. Um, I, I think that's really it's really helpful to be able to um, unwind these things and to be able to detangle them, detangle them from some of the the readings where um, things have probably been. Um, misappropriated um, you know and that, uh, folks certainly don't hear me um, speaking against the need to have queer readings into um, scripture as well too that's I'm all for that and that's really important to me too but I think that there are some times and this is maybe one of those expressions for me where it's actually taken out of context and it, it's not it it it, it, it um there's a word I'm looking for in terms of it, it's not that it it defiles the reading but it actually like it does something it's detrimental to our understanding of what the whole of the story is about here yeah um and I think that that's an important acknowledgement too um so but can okay we stop so there? we've got this massive <laughs> because I would like yeah, to say yeah um, yeah go for it like that's a really romantic and I don't want to undermine their devotion at all but I think it's worth thinking that potentially Ruth hasn't got a family who will welcome her back in um women who have been married are another mouth to feed in her family of origin like if she might be going back to a widowed mother as well who and who doesn't need another mouth to feed Mm -hmm. she might have brothers Mm -hmm. who won't accept her back or who see her as defiled because she's married an Israelite so I don't want to undermine her um her devotion to Naomi but I do want to problematize this and say this is not just a romantic reading um potentially she has nothing to go back to and this is the better of two evils so um so I think we need to keep that in mind too 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's actually quite, um, that's so important. You're right. The devotion is real and I think that that is wonderful. But for me, it's about the acknowledgement of the relationship being different you know you know it is what it is here for me there's a this is the familial relationship it's not the the erotic relationship that some others have read yeah. into um Naomi and Ruth um and that's I think an, an important thing too as we come to these texts as well um and that just to be able to speak through and hear and acknowledge the way within which such what we would consider to be such simple actions or so such um, uh, trivial things now in our day and age like the idea of marrying a foreigner um, cuts you off from whole of your family. I know in uh, a number of um, nations across the world that is still quite um, quite current and something that that you know we live with in our day and age but for the majority um, living in 2021 that's just not the experience and so there are there are ways that we have to read this so that we can actually understand what's culturally happening there. I think it still happens um, well I certainly knew someone um, whose family was exclusive brethren so when he married someone yeah. who wasn't exclusive brethren he was cut off um, and I know yeah, in, yeah. I've heard of Muslim families doing the same thing and different, yeah. like so I think yeah um, I don't think I well I think in children Christian families where they've got gay children and they say if you marry your partner mm. we won't speak to you so I yeah. think it does happen potentially yeah, yeah, not yeah. quite well yeah. I think it does happen in this racial way too um, yeah but yeah. so we have to yeah. think that that still happens but potentially people don't talk about Absolutely. it or there might be ways to get around that like you make your own family out of friends and things when your own your biological family has rejected you so yeah yeah it's interesting now because one of the things that um i'm hearing a lot in conversations that i have with um, a number of the young adults um, that are in and around uh, the community that i'm part of uh, in various places is we talk about you know blood family and we talk about chosen mm. family and for many of them chosen family is that which is actually far more important than blood family and and in some ways you know what we're seeing here too is both the blood family and the chosen family uh, as the thing that is the 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 point of the relationship so for for Ruth you know she's she's related by blood because she married the sons but when it comes to um the choice of do i stay or do i go um she's the one that that stays with with naomi and says actually you know we are yeah, family we are now we are my family meant to be together yeah yeah you, you know i belong to you just as much as you belong to me and so um so they actually head back towards uh towards Bethlehem um which I think is actually something that could be quite interesting too just to note is that they've you know they began you know Naomi began traveling out um from Judah and has been in Moab for quite a number of years now um and now returns back to the land uh of Bethlehem just in time for the beginning of the barley harvest so I I, I wonder whether there's any of that sense of of the return um you, you know the reverse stuff is there uh are people looking at Naomi uh, you know as she returns back into her familial territory with um strangers in family you know <laughs> I, I, I sort of I get, I wonder whether there's that whether we see that sort of reverse um, uh, I guess you'd almost call it reverse racism I guess isn't it there'd be there'd be consequences and the impact of of having been gone for so long into the, the strange land and then returning home and bringing strangers yeah, absolutely with you. this is the foreign wife she's bringing back home and we can tell that even in the mm -hmm. text because every pretty much every time it talks about Ruth it's Ruth the Moabitess she's never allowed to forget uh -huh. that she's a foreigner and for me that probably means mm -hmm. like I can think of uh, Asian people who are never allowed to forget that they're Asian mm -hmm. in white contexts or black mm -hmm. people in mm -hmm. white contexts in Australia that's my and so yeah. we as white yeah. people probably don't experience that um, but I think mm -hmm. other people do and, and particularly when they've 
married into a family like a white family then there can be this disconnection mm-hmm. and these always just very subtle reminders often that, that that's not your culture or you don't mm-hmm. understand us in this way mm-hmm. um so i think that's something we have to be really careful about particularly when we're the dominant culture yeah. absolutely and that will have gone back you know decades as well too as we um as we experience the the influx of refugees post second world war so there would have been that kind of association as well too with um any german people sort of um who were seeking refuge as well for whatever reason they were seeking refuge or so there there have been moments in our time and our history um where this has been quite prominent but there are it still is something that's very much part of our our daily walk as well too where we do identify one another as the stranger that we see them to be rather than the you know the familial ties that that connect us together um yeah so um would you like to just walk us through what happens in chapter two when name uh, when ruth goes to work in the yeah, fields so, uh, i think it's worth noting too that chapter one in my um bible is titled naomi and ruth so we've got a pairing yeah um chapter two we move on to ruth meets boaz so it's still a pairing but it's slightly different yeah. pairing um and for me this is yeah, a really yeah. powerful uh pa- chapter both because well actually i want to think about um naomi first she's going back to her thing but she says Mm. um i think it's in this chapter call me mara call me bitter because god's taken everything away from me so she's not coming back Mm. home triumphantly Mm. she's skulking back in shame and saying Mm. and she might be saying what have i done why did god do this to me why did he kill my husband why did he kill my sons why has he saddled me with this daughter-in-law um we don't know none of this is said in the text although she says she's bitter yeah yeah. some of this and she's an old woman she can't work the field and earn her own money um so for me in my stories about aging i think naomi shouldn't be forgotten in this she's a very important figure and she's probably a bit of a um, a model for lots of old women who might be bitter with good reason yeah. they might have had really difficult lives yeah um yeah. so for me there's naomi there but then there's also ruth and boaz yeah, yeah. so before we move into ruth and Bo- boaz can we just talk about um ruth for the moment because the same word that's used to describe ruth in this um in this book is the same word that's used to describe um, the Proverbs 31 woman, so the woman of noble character. No, it's Boaz. Um, Boaz it, is the um, Ish Geborah Hayil. So the Proverbs oh, okay. 31 woman is an Eshet Hayil, a, a valorous woman. Yeah, Boaz yeah. is the valorous man. Okay, so that's interesting. Uh, and it'd be worth following that through because as I was listening to the um, the um, Bible project um you know their their outline um they were suggesting on there that the same word is the for was used for ruth as was used for the proverbs oh, 31 maybe i'll go back and uh, look at that somewhere so that yeah so i'm i'll have to go and have another listen and we'll we'll see if we can figure that figure out which figure word that it out is. And, and pop it in as well too so yeah um i just i thought that was an interesting thing but so we're talking about people of noble character um in the same way that we spoke about people of noble character in in um, Proverbs as well too. And I guess for me, regardless of whether it's Boaz or Ruth, in this way, in this particular book, they're, they're actually both quite showing quite noble character as well too, you know. I mean, what what happens is, is, is something that we can't grasp in our day and time and setting. And yet it's something that, Ruth willingly sort of enters into as well, uh, you know, in that. So, okay, so give us the story, <laughs> Michelle. Give us the well, story. Well, so they go back <laughs> and um, they do have some property here. So they're not completely um, penniless, but mm. they can't obviously work mm. it by themselves. So they go back and they go, well, Boaz has this field. He is a rich man. And he, she mm. goes to, Ruth goes to Boaz's field and starts collecting the leftover grain. And Boaz says, look after her. 
um, let's make mm-hmm. sure there's enough for her and Naomi to collect. So he is really mm-hmm. this generous. They could talk about a goel, a redeemer. Um, so this is a big yeah, yeah, issue yeah. too for Ruth too. Yeah, and and Boaz, yeah, Boaz is actually um, has family links to uh, Naomi, um, so that that kind of offers some sense of rightness, I guess, about the what he's undertaking. Yeah, but I guess we learn later too that he's not the most closely related. So if we think about mm, people mm. that are more closely related might have more of a um, obligation to us, that doesn't play out. He has got family ties, but it's mm, not the mm. person who's closest who plays out these obligations. Um, and it seems mm-hmm. that um, Ruth perhaps picks in his field serendipitously. This is not planned that they go, mm-hmm. oh, we'll target Boaz yeah. and we'll go to Hillfield. It's one of those divine... Yeah. I'll go Moments, to this field, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's close enough, maybe it's just easy to pick, maybe it's on the road that mm-hmm. I travel anyway. Yeah. And it happens to be um, Boaz's field who takes an interest in Ruth um, and Naomi probably because I think he would not be ignorant of the connection. Um, and, yeah, mm-hmm. this is one of those God moments that's in the text but not there. It's not explicitly talked about God, but I think sometimes we can see God moving through these uh, these chance moments that happen mm. in our lives. Um, so, yeah, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers is the word term, and the Hebrew is goel. But this idea of a redeemer really prefigures mm-hmm. Jesus too. Like I, For me, that fits yeah. so well with the Shema too because that's saying, these are the things that are it, that redemption yes. is about. It's not just about dying on a cross, but it's about saving someone. So Boaz saves Ruth and yeah, Naomi, yeah. giving life from to their, you. Um, yeah, yeah. So, from their penury. Um, so, mm, mm, mm. and so through Boaz's actions uh, in actually making space for, uh, you know, uh, Ruth and Naomi, and especially for Ruth in the in the fields. There is a sense within which there is that that redemption that's there. You know, there's the opportunity for there to be that that life that is is given. So, um, and that's really quite interesting. And it's so, probably good to stop there and look at the other ones because mm, then next week we do mm, chapter three. Yes, perfect, perfect. So I was just going to say that. So okay, so let's talk about how what we've read so far in the beginning of. Um, Ruth chapter 1 and uh, into chapter 2 actually connects with the readings that we have from the other scriptures and folks I really would encourage you if you haven't had the opportunity to do to go and check out the um, the outline uh, video or to go and read the four chapters because it's not long at all but it really is a story that needs to be told in the whole Um, but to ensure that we can actually give it due um, consideration we are breaking it over to so let's talk about the way within which this, what we've read, fits into the other readings that we have for the day. Um, so when we come to uh, to consider Mark, we're actually looking at Mark and the, the particular section from Mark that we are um, talking about to, uh, today is Mark 12, 28 to 34. Um, and I'm going to quickly bring that up on my screen so I've got it with me so 28 to 34 it it is the words of the Shema it's the greatest commandment um, which is um, something that you know goes back for us goes back and yet comes forward as well too I wonder how I mean as I look at that that particular passage for me, the links there are not very hard to make at all. <laughs> it's just what we're, what we're seeing in Ruth is the is the actual is the outworking, is the practice, the daily practice of what it means to live the Shema, or or for us now to be living the greatest commandment as we are um, given to us. And, and I think that it, it, as you said, what I you know what what interests me is that the act of redemption or sacrifice is not necessarily about the the. Uh, the blood act of the cross that we get through Christ, but it's about that act of um, of making space for and actually like it's that compassion and, and you know mercy that happens in caring for one another. 
um yeah totally um and in the this passage it says it's more important than burnt offerings and sacrifice so while i do think all the rituals we do around worship are important like they they're kind of not important too they're important because they're meaningful but what it comes if we're doing that but we're not um loving one another if if we're not boaz Mm -hmm. loving ruth or ruth loving naomi or even i think probably i mean we see further in the story naomi does look out for ruth as well um they're more important than doing all the right things and of course that comes out in the hebrews reading too like where it says you know all these useless rituals will do nothing for you um or they won't save you useless rituals are important i think remembering things are important we get right throughout the old testament this idea that remembering um is important and the shema is remembering remember that god um is the first and the most important and loving god is important and loving your neighbor it's not just god it's not Mm. god's rules Mm. or the rule is love Mm. um so that probably makes us look Mm. at the sort of the whole bible in a different way absolutely yeah and i i think one of the things that for me is the reminder of this is that when we start to speak about love love is not something that you can do on your own love is something that actually has an interaction quality so it's a relational thing so it's a reminder of the importance of the relational aspect of our of our faith stories and of our of our own person you know whether whether for us it's about the relationship we have with god or whether it's about the relationship we have with ourselves, or whether it's about the relationship we have with one another it's the relational yeah. component which is highlighted here um, and we see that again today, you know, as we've we've dived into the beginning of Ruth as well too. That's very much, um, you know, offering to us the the um, the experience of the relational um, message of, of this, you, you know. And whilst there may be some questions about um, the actions being done because of the what was culturally appropriate at the time what we understand is that in those very early times that uh, particularly in the Jewish community culture and religion were so intertwined that you actually couldn't mm-hmm. separate the two so whether it was not in the same way that we do here in this day and age where we can say I I um um, I identify as a Christian, but I also identify as uh, an Australian, you know, white woman. Yeah, it, those kinds of things. It was you were Jewish, and that meant that you were culturally and religiously connected and entwined. I guess. Um, so the aspect that this comes out of love, um, whilst it was part of their their cultural understanding and their religious understanding, was also a choice that was being made too. Um, about what they where they actually take that to and what they do with it yes totally um and and I think we can probably see the echoes too of you know sometimes we twist love it's not loving to actually um, do this Mm. well and when we kind of say that oftentimes it means we're hurting someone but we don't want to actually deal with the hurt we're doing um, so we say, well, we're doing it in love when it's really not very loving because um, love is hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and people are is, different from is. us. So, and, and I guess yeah, it's hard to accept them and yeah. support them and, as they are. Yeah, and authentic love is hard because it means that when, you know, the hard things need to be said or the hard actions need to be, be taken, that, that we do that because we understand the the relationship that sits behind it and what's needed for the relationship that sits behind us and that can be particularly confronting I think um, and as I think about what it is to be pastoring a community as we go through the current you know upheaval and uncertainties of all the pandemic stuff that's happening not just that but also the need for um, people to actually start to do the work of adapting as well and and Um, it's not just about you know um, you should be able to do this by now thinking about technology Uh, you know you should be able to do this by now because it's something that's been around in our society for so long it's actually like there's more at the center of it too it's it's about doing the work um, of adapting and it's about doing the work of 
expressing the gospel in fresh words and deeds, which for us in the United Church comes out of our basis of a union uh, as well too. But it's also about listening to the kinds of things that Paul was talking about in his letters, which was about, you know, going and being when I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm Jew, when I'm here, I'm Greek, you know, I, you go in and it's that whole idea of actually, um, well, everything that we've talked about today, you go and you inhabit the land and you actually live and work and, you know, you settle down and you create families and, um, all of those things. When I think about what, um, what Naomi may have needed to have uh, learnt and done to be able to uh, connect in with the Moabite community and, and it, it makes me giggle internally because, you know, we hear again and again and again, oh, you're not, you, you can't say that you're from this place because you've only been here 20 <laughs> years, you know, you need to have been in this community 40 years or right, something. Right, yeah. Um, it's, it's all that kind of that kind of thing that we're talking about is this sense of um, do we really open-heartedly accept one another into community or we do we hold that um, you have to have been either um, – uh, from a, a family that's connected to this community or you have to have been here 40 years or bef- before you're recognised as one of us. Like that's just, that stuff really gets to me when we start to look at readings like this and like the, the Mark reading that we have for today and thinking about what it means to be in that relational um, sense, you know, the foundation is the relational thing that we have and it's all built on love um so there's lots of questions that we can ask our current context that come out of these readings but i dare say if we began to ask all those questions there would be quite a number of people who would become very very uncomfortable with that because it is challenging them right at their very core to think about where their own anchor lies and what are they actually clinging to um (laughs) yes i'm not sure i'm going to entertain that (laughs) speaking that aloud any further i'm happy for you to actually uh have a moment here yeah yeah i think um because i'm the person who very much likes to be anchored um we i know we've talked about this before that you you and will have moved quite a Mm. bit uh in your life whereas i've been in this house I think going on 15 years and I would not like to never move again. I like to travel, but I like to come home to my anchor. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping that within that, I'm very hospitable about welcoming people who do come and go um, because we all have our own stories. So Ruth has her own story and Naomi has her own story and Boaz has his own story. And, you know, the author of Mark has their own story. And all of this wrestling with, well, where does God fit into this? Um, and lots is is really important and I think some of these enlightening statements some of the times we learn most is in the times of great discomfort is in the time of the famine or having to return home or the pandemic or (laughs) we learn about ourselves and I think there can be a um a desire perhaps to hold on tight and to anchor everything down when we so much is uncertain but really, if we kind of go, well, I'm graciously fumbling my way through this and I'm going to extend that graciousness to the person beside me who fumbles yeah. their way through it. And both of us will make mistakes. Um, but if we're committed to being together, then in the long run, um, then we can we can love each other and love each other through these trials, um, whatever happens to befall us. So... I think that's what I see to the writer of the Hebrews um, emphasising as well too is that that stuff that was of the old way, you know, the need for the sacrifices and and things of that nature actually um, loses its focus when um, when we actually hold to the the Christ-centred love. So, you know, for me, I, I take more comfort in 
the the ending of the Hebrews reading, which is verse 14, and the way that for me that connects into our Mark reading for the day in terms of loving uh, God and loving yourself and loving your neighbour. That's, that's how I see all of that sort of outworking. I think the other thing that I would just want to highlight too about what we see and hear from Mark's Gospel and the way it relates to the Shema as well too is the way that that relates to what was given in the law with Moses as well too. So, you know, when we look at that uh, and we, we look at the ten that are there, there's a very distinct um, pattern which says the first uh, three, I think it is, are about loving God and then there's the next couple which is about loving yourself and then there's the next which all follow through about loving your neighbour as yourself. So the, there's no change to what it is that we're seeing or hearing here. All that is happening and all that we see is the emphasis is coming off those individual uh, markers there and being placed upon the relational um, component and the need for love so so it's not about the action that's taken it's about the relational um, status I guess and the relational um, nature which I think is um, is actually important to acknowledge because some people would say but hang on what about the giving of the commandments that we have in Exodus how does this actually fit into all of that and and Jesus quite clearly says I haven't come to abolish the law but I've come to fulfill the law and so I think that's why I feel the need to acknowledge that what we're speaking about in this instance in Mark's gospel is actually still very much connected to what we see and hear coming out of Exodus which again is highlighted again for us in Deuteronomy with the Shema um, and the importance of that so well even with the um, Ten Commandments that, we have two versions of them in the Bible mm, we have the Exodus version and yeah, the Deuteronomy yeah. and when you put them side by side Absolutely, yeah. the commandments pretty much stay the same but the reason for the commandments mm, changes mm. so we can even see within these first five books of the Bible they're the law is mm. sort of still the same, but it changes to for their it's context. And I, and I think, yeah. you know, in, in one way it's easy to say that we should give away rituals and we should give up all these things, but there's anguish in this. And it's easy to read Ruth and think that, oh, you know, they just happily moved back to Bethlehem and it all just worked out. But at yeah. every point there would have been anguish about giving yeah. these things away. And I think... Yeah part of me for loving myself well part of my journey of loving myself is saying it's okay to anguish over those things you've lost as long as it doesn't make you yep. bitter <laughs> as long as you kind of or you move through the bitterness and you go okay but I'm still going to love yeah, I'm still yeah, going to yeah. um, work with Ruth I'm still going to work with Boaz I'm still going to do what it takes yeah. to get to the next point yeah. so um, so it's okay to be anguished it's okay to be bitter it's okay to feel all the feelings um but it is important then to perhaps work through it. It's not a stop. We don't stop and say, yeah. no, no, this is how we did it. So we're always going to do it this way. We did do it that way and that way was and, good and, so, and that was life-giving, but now we need to move on. Yeah, and so the whole idea of how does this part of my story become part of my future story becomes really important and you know for us as we as we come towards the end of our episode today that just ties us back into all of the stuff we've done in the last four weeks looking at Job and the way within which uh, Job's anguish mm. and Job's lament and the way that Job cried out to God and and the way that all of that you know 42 chapters <laughs> the most of which was anguish um becomes part of Job's story into the future and how does that actually look and see and we talked about the need for there to have uh, or, or the desire for there to have been some unpacking of maybe what Job post chapter 42 was like and thinking about the idea of PTSD and um, other things but it, it is very much about how we make this um, the part of our future story that we can be at peace with um, whilst not devaluing the experiences and the feelings that go with those but not holding on to the the like that clenched feeling that you know creates such anxiety within us 
and that's a that's a lifelong Absolutely. process and um, choosing to tell our story that's a lifelong process. because our story is part yeah. of loving one another i think because other people see our story and go yeah, yeah. that was me too or that was totally outside yeah, my experience yeah. thank you for sharing and thank you for letting me learn something Absolutely. that i didn't yeah, know yeah. so yeah. i think yeah for me it's these stories are really important. Our stories, the stories that we've been given. Um, mm, mm, mm. How do we, what points do we want to tell? What do we want to share? And don't just share all the good bits. Like maybe not dwell on the negative, but the negative's there as well. And let's acknowledge and recognize yeah. it um, and think about how they helped us to become better so that we can gift it to other absolutely. people and they can go, oh, I'll learn from your story too. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I highly resonate with as, you know, someone who's begun sharing a lot more of their story in the last 12 months of, um, of discovering after 40-something years that, you know, I've, I've lived as a neurodiverse adult but have struggled to try and behave as a neurotypical when I'm actually not. So, um, and I chose to that I would share my story and share my story openly in the journey that I'm taking with that and the number of people that have said to me you know I'm really thankful that you have been sharing your story because it's really helped me um, and so we have these stories for a reason and we do need to share them because it does actually I think help us to love one another in a greater way um, whether through its understanding or whether it's through um you know being able to then take what we hear and see in that and translate it into another relationship we have or uh, however but there's just something that actually says to us you know this is important um let's share these stories and there are reasons why we have the stories of Esther and mm. Ruth in the Bible and I think they're stories that we need to pay particular attention to as well too because what we see is the way that God is working in and through the people even without the name of God being uttered yeah, within God those books. Um, and that, I, yeah, God is present. Um, and again, back to, to Job and, you know, when God appears silent, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that God's not working and God's not there so you know God's not present so so uh, you know that's all of that and all of us for today um and my goodness that's a lot for today you know as we kind of dive into all of those things um Michelle do you have any final comments that you would like to make because I'm very aware that today we've spoken for longer than we may <laughs> usually do but there's just so much to try and you know to so much wonderful stuff that we need to actually attend to um. uh, nothing springs to mind I'm all talked out for a change <laughs> brilliant that's alright <laughs> we must have worn you out yeah. <laughs> at dinner last night so Michelle and I actually had our first um, in person dinner uh, in our oh gosh knows how long and a first in person meeting and so it was wonderful to be able to actually you know be in physical presence mm. with one another so i think we're both a little <laughs> on the tired side this morning but it, it was worth every moment of it um so there's enough i mean there's lots of bits and pieces there for you potties to go away and have a look at and we'll include uh, all of the links and things that we've spoken about and if you have things that come up that you think uh, resonate with this reading that you'd like to connect into please leave them in the comments on the the page on the website and um, that'd be absolutely awesome to hear how you uh, find these stories actually resonating with your own truth this um, this day and this week um, the psalm for the day psalm 146 is another one of those psalms where we talk about the need for continually praising the lord and i think that this is the stuff that we hold that um, in the midst of all of the hard workings, and we had similar psalms, you know, through our, our Job journey, in the midst of our hard workings and the hard relationships, we actually do continue to praise God and pray that God uh, does all of those magnificent things that only God can do, um, which, you know, is a bit special. So I'll see if I can find a lovely, uh, uh, I've had some lovely musical um interpretations of those over the last little while and I'll have a look for another one of those which I haven't done yet um very last and final thing Michelle do you have a verse of the day from across these four readings for us to share 
Oh, reverse the week. What's your reverse the week? Mm, oh yeah, well you know what's what's your your verse of encouragement well, this week? So it's not in the readings, but um, and I don't know where to find it. But my right. um, my confirmation text. So if you're not from a um, mm. tradition that confirms people in the Lutheran Church, they baptize infants, and then when you get to a certain age, mm. you um, confirm your baptism and say, "I'm going to take on my baptismal vow as an adult." Uh, so my baptismal mm-hmm. text. And my confirmation text says, um, do not worry, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, make your request known to the Lord. And I'm a warrior, so this is a really useful <laughs> text for me. I've got a feeling that might come the from letters. Ephesians, I think. Um, there's a similar one which I was given, which is from um, First Thessalonians, so um, yeah, but our Uniting Church also does the, the confirmation process as well too. Um, yeah, so good stuff, good stuff. Uh, and I'm writing this down so I can find <laughs> it and put it up there for us, so uh, which is good. Hey friends, that's it for another episode of Tea with Two Revs this week as we've looked inside the lectionary and given special attention to the Book of Ruth. Michelle, it's been absolutely wonderful to join you again around the coffee table uh, and I have enjoyed our conversation today. It's been quite um, quite an in-depth and broad conversation as well too. Potties, if you'd like to continue to share tea with us, please do the social thing. Uh, please like, comment, share us with your friends, subscribe and don't forget to hit any of the notification bells or follow buttons so that you get us each week straight into your mailbox. We can be found at growingfaithdownunder.org which is our home on the web Um, and you can find us across any of your preferred podcast platforms and social media. So Potties and (laughs) Michelle, thank you so much for joining me this week. Um, Tea with Two Revs is an activity of the Growing Faith Down Other project. I'm looking forward to seeing you again next week, Michelle, for our (laughs) second episode. Um, I've been your host, Amanda Nicholas. Goodbye and God bless.